Hello, dear listener. Thank you for downloading, streaming, and listening to the Spooky Doings podcast. My name is Rick Guzman. I'm an improv comedian from New York. Still can't improvise because, well, COVID cases are going up. So even if you got the pointiest poke, don't put other people at risk for your good time just because it's the summer. I'm joined today by the lady that handles all the beeps, the poops, the bobs, and the buttons. She is our wonderful Alabama enforcer. She's Chelsea Bennington. How are you, Chelsea? I'm good. How are you doing? I am loving the heat, and I realize I'm in the minority when it comes <laughs> it to that. It is quite hot today. Mm-hmm. I just got over a very, uh, I went outside to run some errands, and I came back absolutely uh, drenched. Like you walked out of a very bad shower. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> well, dad was Cuban. Mom lived in Brazil for 10 years. I am genetically disposed to this temperature. That's very true. And a lot of people say to me, they're like, you're from the South. You should be used to this. And I'm like, I left the South for many reasons. And <laughs> heat was one of them. <laughs> but now it is, it has come back uh, to haunt me. Climate change. There you go. <laughs> Pour yourself a sweet tea and everything will be all right. That is true. <laughs> uh, but, but speaking of sons of Cubans, uh, one of my favorite filmmakers is George Romero, and we are honored and privileged today to have the president and founder of the George A. Romero Foundation, Suzanne Desrochers Romero, is on the show today. Hello, Suzanne. Hello. Hello. How are you all? Doing all right. How are you doing today? Good, good. Thanks. And how have you been uh, coping with this in the time of covid well, you know, we just opened up yesterday, Ontario, so uh, we're all very jazzed, and um, we actually are doing very well in the vaccination department, and so um, it's been slow going, but um, uh, things are looking uh, things are looking positive <laughs> up here in the Norday. <laughs> which which is good because we need some positivity because. Um... Uh, America, you know, we're not all your unruly neighbors in the basement. There's just enough that make the noise. It's got to be unpleasant that you look down at us and go, oh, come on, just get poked. <laughs> just get poked and be cool. We're I trying. agree. I we're completely trying. agree. I know. It just seems like uh, it's been politicized and now the sort of the genie has left the bottle and now, uh, you know, people are resistant, uh, which is unfortunate because it will save your life. <laughs> so get it, get it done. <laughs> I, I saw a funny post that said, come on, guys, you have to get five vaccines to get to kindergarten. Like this shouldn't be something that's relatively new, but you know, it's yeah and, and 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 listen this this new variant it's not even so new but the variant is catching up right now to you because you're not vaccinating fast enough and in canada uh we were sluggish to start but um we have uh you know hurry up offense and we have vaccinated a bunch of people and we're doing it faster than the variant can spread so so far so good a good time. I do wonder what kind of script George would write oh. about this <laughs> pandemic. Yeah, he'd be he'd be pretty busy with the computer, that's for sure. <laughs> we had a little conversation uh, before we started recording, and uh, when I gave Suzanne the rundown uh, of, of you know our intro and what we do, and I said, you know, feel free to cuss if you're one to cuss. 
And Suzanne mentioned she's not prone to it. Well, you told me a story that was just so endearing. I'd like to share it with our listeners, if you please. Do you want me to tell the story? Or? If, you, if okay. you don't mind, okay. please. Sure. Uh, you know, so George would send me scripts. You know, he would work downstairs. My office is upstairs. And he'd send me a script. He'd say, you know, uh, you know, let me know what you think. And uh, I, I'd read the script and I'd go, Jesus, there are like 500 F-bombs in this script. You know, and he'd laugh because he too is not prone uh, personally to swear. But he'd say, you know, listen, uh, my folks in my script, Scripts, that's that's how they speak so um we'd have a big laugh about it because uh yeah the f-bombs uh flew freely <laughs> <laughs> and then of course the editor would you know peter would you know you know cut a few of them and then eventually um you know some of it would be pared down uh but yeah no uh they they were um running amok with the f-bombs <laughs> yeah I, I just thought that story was so sweet combined with uh you wrote a little thing for uh, i get the newsletter every week from shutter uh, about what they're putting out so prior to them debuting amusement park you wrote a piece about uh living with george and uh him having a lot of movies for you to watch and playing scrabble and what he thought his le legacy would be or you asked him what he thought his legacy would be, and he, his response was that nobody cared. And um, yeah, he was really wrong about that. Yeah, but I agree it, with that. It, it, it was so touching to to uh, know a little more about the man. Yeah. Because as a fan, just being connected to his work, in my eyes, he's always going to be King George because right. bringing the zombie to all of us. But to know a little more about the man certainly humanizes him. And you know, he had his, he in his life, he must have had his ups, his downs, successes and failures like everybody else. So to kind of take him down off the pedestal and examine him a little closer and go, hey, we ain't so different. No, touching. that's very true. And, you know, um, I didn't know who he was when I first met him. So um, when I, was that, please? Pardon? When was that? Please? It was in 2005. And I met him uh, when he was doing post for Land of the Dead. And um, I was introduced. Um, uh, and, um, you know, I didn't know who he was. And um, and he invited me to see the uh, a, a rough cut of land, and I, I have to say I was terrified because, you know, I just thought it was going to be trash, and I needed to be polite, yet I needed to be honest. So you know, as, as you know, it's a, a little difficult to navigate through those two things. And um, anyway, I saw it and uh, he shuts the TV off and says, so what did you think? And I said, well, to be honest, it wasn't that bad. <laughs> and he laughed that big, big laugh that he has or had. And uh, obviously he knew I wasn't his demographic and uh, he was pleased as punch. And um, but it really it really is interesting because um i treated him as uh, a man and uh, unaware of the iconic status and i think he was uh i thought it i think i, I guess he thought it was refreshing um 
I don't know, but um, yeah, I, and even to even, you know, even now I know m way more about his work now than I did uh, when we were together, even though I had a, a you know, a, a, sort of an Oz, you know, a, a general idea of what he did. And, and at one point I was the gatekeeper. And so, yeah, I had a general idea, but uh, let me tell you, my learning curve has been just Mount Everest because I know now um, a lot more and, you know, and I know nothing. There are so many people who know everything about him and his work. So what's interesting is that I just get to interject on the personal George Romero, the one, the man I knew, the man who couldn't find the mayonnaise in the refrigerator, you know, that guy. And he'd say, Suze, I can't find it. And I go, but it's there. It's totally there. Don't make me go down there. And he said, well, I can't find it. So I'd go down there. I'd open the fridge and there it was right there. And he said, well, I'm too big. I'm too big. I can't see down there. And I'm like, okay, really? So, you know, it, so it's, it's, I find that people, as you say, you know, Rick, that, you know, you, you know, the man, the art, the, the work, um, and um, I was the opposite. <laughs> I didn't know any of it or generally not. And, um, you know, it was uh, very ordinary. Our relationship was ordinary, loving and normal, if you know what I mean. Very much so. That, that's, that's what makes the world go around when you can yeah. be with the person that you like the best and just kind of give each other these side eyes where it's like, you lucky, I love you. <laughs> yeah. you, you're lucky you're lucky you're cute <laughs> yeah we go to we go to so we'd be normal and 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 then we'd get ready for uh, i'd say to him okay do you have your glasses because he never wore his glasses he didn't need them really? he didn't need them his eyes were better than mine and but he wore the glasses because it was part of his image the brand and and people would say mr romero where are your glasses and he oh and then he put them on and and there he was the you know the the director uh, so i do the checklist okay do you have your vest because his vest too so it was like a uniform you know so we i go okay you got your vest you've got your pens the sharpies You've got the glasses and, um, and you know, we do the convention and I'd be amazed as to how many people adored him. And, and he also adored them because he was very personal with every single fan. Um, he would look at them straight in the eye and, and, and relate to them for the five minutes that he was with them. And, um, it was wonderful but you know sunday at five when the convention was over he was back to being my guy and so it, there'd be like a door flip you know like a, a, a trap door that would open and then it would close so it's got to work like clark kent in a way <laughs> in where a it's way. like all right you take the glasses and the vest off yeah and now it's just George. exactly <laughs> which is, is is also even more endearing <laughs> um but yeah, uh, 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 after his death, uh, the George A. Romero Foundation uh, began. Uh, when when did that start to uh, germinate from from an idea into something tangible? 
You know, there was never really a eureka moment. It was um, generally the never is. <laughs> Um, it's a slow by slow, inch by inch. And, um, you know, as you know, that story where, you know, he tells me uh, during a game that, you know, that nobody really cares. And those words haunted me. And um, I was, you know, just couldn't believe that that was true. And, and, you know, I met a few people in Pittsburgh and um, they were doing as Pittsburgh institutions and, and organizations were doing a celebration uh, in Pittsburgh the first year of his death in 2017. And they were doing, um, you know, celebration of him. And I kept thinking, well, you know, I got to do something uh, with them. And um, I don't know, I just met a whole bunch of people. And at one point, I was thinking I would do a film festival. And um, I talked to a few people who run film festivals. And they'd say, Oh, God, Sue's not another film festival. I mean, there's so many of them. And, you know, and I just thought, oh, oh, okay. So, you know, and then I realized that um, I needed to prove George wrong. And I, and I thought I was angry at the fact that the horror world is, is dismissed uh, so often, you know, as B or C. Mm -hmm. um, that made me... Uh, I would say angry. It's just not right. And You're not alone. <laughs> it's just not right. Way. And, you know, and, and, and horror has been around since the beginning of writing. I mean, the Greeks, the Gothics. I mean, it, this has been going on for a really long time. And yet somehow. Horror stories around the campfire. Yes, indeed. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And, and so, so it was a combination of people that I met and the fact that the uh, George Romero archive was now in Pittsburgh, that took a while to happen. Um, finally, signed the papers, and um, and I love Pittsburgh. And I thought, let's see if we could do a foundation and help young people. And I don't even mean to be ageist, but to help people, uh, you know, pick up a camera and tell a story like George did. And um, anyway, slow by slow, and then um, I'm surrounded by people who know George Romero, the artist, uh, very well, and um, I hitched my my horse to their post, and um, and here we are. And I think we do great work, and we're young; we're just like three years old, and I mm -hmm. think we're 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 making a, an impact i know we're still mm -hmm. little potatoes but we're going to be big potato one day and i'm looking forward to that absolutely because the thing that struck me uh, about george romero uh, and not being a fan too young but when i started dating my my girlfriend nearly 21 years ago she showed me night of the living dead for the first time and i was blown away and knowing the story about how you'd he would film a little bit go off and make more money, come back and film a little bit. So like, if you've got an idea, the only thing stopping you from accomplishing it some of the time is you. And then not too long ago, I, I read, and, and you can tell me if the internet lied to me or not, that at one point, George was working 
on Mr. Rogers' neighborhood at the same time that Michael Keaton was a part of the crew. And that blew my mind to think of, you know, Beetlejuice and, and, and the, the zombie king working on a children's show. It's like, hey, you, you have to do what you have to to do what you want to. And, yeah. and that's, I feel, is, is one of the, the spirits of George. Indeed. And, you know, it was much more difficult to, uh, because film was so expensive in those days and equipment was so expensive. Uh, distribution easier, making it harder. Now it's the opposite. Making it easy, distributing it not so easy. So it's just kind of flipped, you know, because I, I know a, a, a friend of mine, Chris Alexander, who, who shot a film on his iPhone. <laughs> and it's fantastic, you know. Um, you know, George didn't have that, and you know, so he had to save the money, as you said. You know, he'd work, do commercials, uh, buy a camera, or and then he'd work, 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 and then buy, you know, lighting. You know, uh, so he he they eventually, um, you know, got it done, but it's about resolve and that's where you're what you're saying is that if you've got the drive uh nothing's stopping you nothing's which, stopping you which brings us to amusement park uh is this the first uh project of his that the foundation has made public to yes yes because so yeah. i saw it was coming on shutter and i'm like okay great george romero movie and then i saw 53 minutes i'm like okay not a full-length feature but what's the story here uh, and and again you can tell me if the internet is wrong here he was paid by the lutheran church to make an anti-elder abuse film and they were freaked out and shelved it for nearly 50 years is that correct <laughs> Kind of, sort of. I, I think okay. the, the truth is uh, Carl Robinick, who was the producer of the film, uh, his wife uh, was a volunteer at the Lutheran Society. And they wanted to do an, inst you know, like a, 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 an industrial to, to let people uh, know about or to engage people in uh, programs for the elderly and they asked uh, Carl's wife if he they knew anybody who could shoot this thing and uh, and Carl said well yeah George Romero uh, not really you know, and here's another thing too is that people say well how come the Lutheran Society you know and hire George Romero but don't forget he he wasn't the zombie guy then he was just a, a, a Pittsburgh filmmaker and he did that film, but he had never any intention of being uh, the zombie godfather, as it turns out in his career. Um, he, he was a diverse, uh, you know, uh, director and storyteller. So uh, the fact that they hired him is not extraordinary in any way, um, but... <laughs> The film is edgy, <laughs> and uh, and it is George Romero after all, and um, and that is innately who he is, edgy, and um, and the fact is, you know, it served its purpose. It was shown at community centers. It was never supposed to be uh, out there as a film. It was really just um, a community 
uh, film to help get, you know, programs like Meals on Wheels and all that kind of stuff. So, um, but I could imagine that they thought it was a little edgier than they would have liked. <laughs> I, I, I think they never actually said it, but I'm thinking that's probably what they had in their head. <laughs> that, that, that makes sense. Cause I recently watched it this week uh, and I know Chelsea did too. And the tone felt very much like season of the witch kind of trippy and ethereal. And I use the term trippy as someone that has never done drugs but i like that lincoln mazel was in it remembering yeah. him from martin and just looking at his nephew all weird like accusing him of being nosferatu so like i'm i'm digging that part but also uh you know with the anniversary of my grandmother's death coming out being you know near to this time that i'm watching it having her on my mind and remembering about caring for her uh, medically a little bit when my aunt or mother couldn't do it and thinking about how vulnerable the elderly are and how uh, they are scared of everything because it may not be the, always be the case that someone's looking to prey on them, but it happens too often. And you know when, uh, when there are now robo calls trying to swindle people I, I have no respect for them that do that because it's like learn to be a real criminal in my <laughs> opinion don't try to swindle someone that's afraid of the internet uh, yeah. so so it, it works on a lot of different levels for me personally than i think it uh, others might have gotten out of it yeah it's funny i was afraid you know when i when i when I saw the film with George uh, in 20, you know, 17 uh, or late June, uh, you know, we, I was shocked. I thought, what, what the hell is this? You know, cause he never mentioned it ever. He was like, ah, it's just nothing. It was laughing. We, it was three days, bing, bang, boom. It, it's, you know, it was nothing. And I, you know, and I just thought, oh my God, but it's so, uh, interesting on every level. First of all, now that I've seen it, you know, a hundred times, I actually think that that film, The Amusement Park, is the most Romero of all of his films. And, and let me tell you why. I just think that he hadn't even established his footprint yet. And there it is. Boom. Um, his editing, the, the way it's cut, it's so, and yet he learned how to cut even better uh, when he did those sports documentaries. He said to me, Susan, I learned how to, to edit when I did those uh, documentaries. So he hadn't even really learned the, the, the huge skills that skill sets that he had in his later uh, works. But oh my God, the way it's cut, the way you, you, it makes you feel when you see the film. And um, I just, you know, he took a script that is literally a paragraph <laughs> and he does it a 51 minute thing mm -hmm. at three days with a $37,000 budget. It's, it's extraordinary. And, um, and never mind the subject matter, which is totally relevant even today, mm -hmm. uh, uh, which, you know, listen, all, almost all of Romero's films have relevancy to even today I mean it's almost like he and I and I and I say this loosely 
because even Shakespeare used universal themes. That's why when you read a Shakespeare, it it it, it it's relevant yeah. today because he's using universal themes. And so did George. And not only did he use universal themes, but he had um, a pulse of decades, you know, so he, he did night, he did dawn, he did day, and he did all these films that have a, not only a universal theme, but an interesting commentary on the decade that the film was made. And uh, this film, The Amusement Park, does exactly that. Um, again, uh, it, it's just it's just like his. And that's an, another thing, too, that I need to mention. George never thought he had a style. I don't really have a style. <laughs> I'm like, oh, my God, I know nothing of your work. And you totally have a style. Are you yeah. kidding me? And he's like, yeah, but I stole it from Orson Welles. And, you know, I, 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 I said, but all artists use other people's work to learn. And, mm-hmm. and, and some artists influence you more than others. And this is the way artists work. They, they kind of the, the good borrow, the great steal. <laughs> well, he would totally agree with you on that, one hundred percent. He'd laugh right now, and, like ha ha ha. Yeah. And, and to to make it just a little bit more Cuban and revolutionary, we don't steal, we liberate. <laughs> That's right. That's right. He would procure. <laughs> You know, but anyway, he he didn't think he had a style, and I was like, I how 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 does one actually wrap your head around that one? Yeah, I don't know, that's... but it's stunning. Yeah, two two things that you know, I was I was thinking about uh, as you were discussing this. Um, when I watched an amusement park, I thought, um, like you said, it is very relevant today. I. I found it almost a coincidence in the timing of, I watched it and a few weeks ago, uh, Rick and I are also in a movie club together. um, And we recently watched the Netflix film, I Care A Lot. Um, I don't know if if you saw that, but it- I haven't, but I've heard of it, yeah. Yeah, it it definitely hits on like, you know, conservatorships and um, when when, um, older people are left basically in the hands of people that just want to be attached to their money when they pass and um, keep them away from their kids and their family um, and how the system just does not work for that person whatsoever. So we're still having, and then this is reaching a little bit, but um, we have that, you know, huge conversation going on right now with Britney Spears and her conservatorship Mm -hmm. and um, that conservatorships often go hand in hand with um, elder abuse as well. So I think it is incredibly relevant to be coming out right now. Um, It was just something I thought about. And when it came to Romero's films in general, and and Rick has heard me say this hundreds of times. I, you're already nodding, like you know what I'm going to say. Um, but uh, with Romero, I was always able to differentiate him from a constant aggravation I get when horror movies often try to become too preachy or too in your face with their commentary to the point where it's not even commentary and I think Romero just always had a style of it being within the story 
Um, you think about it a lot afterwards. It's not being spoon fed to you. Mm-hmm. I think that that's a problem with, um, you know, as much as I, horror is my favorite genre and I love the horror community, but I notice sometimes um, writers and filmmakers and really in all genres um, don't know the difference between it being a commentary and underlying commentary and theme or when you are just going to lay it flat out in your narrative and in your dialogue to where the story suffers. So um, anyway, I digress a little bit, but I just wanted to mention that was something I, I really enjoyed about Amusement Park because when I was first watching it, I texted Rick within the first 10 minutes and I said, this is cracking me up, I love this. And then I kept watching and I thought, I'm not laughing. This is this is terrifying, and it's um, such an important message. And um, I, I very much enjoyed it. And I think it's such a great. It's just fate that it's coming out right now um, in a in a world where we are having these conversations um, about retirement homes and senior citizen homes and elder abuse. And this is not new whatsoever. But I think we are becoming much more aware of it i think so too and and also it's the dismissing of people who are older and it, it, it also happens with women too when uh you know once your your beauty fades you disappear like nobody it, it, you're no longer valid almost and it's um it's First of all, it's a youth-oriented society, and we all get that, Uh, but it's always sort of been that, you know, but there's also, we need to, now that we're all woke, uh, which which George would have hated every minute of it, um, but he also, he was woke before he even knew the word, you know, he, he, he was just so woke. And yet he would despise that word uh, big mm. time. And um, but yeah, I think it's the dismissal, the dismissal of people who are older. Now, if you've got money, you're less dismissed because you've got the money. It's when you it, it's when it's both happens when you age and you have no money. Bad things can happen and some people are lucky they have caring children or caring friends and and they have a support system that doesn't allow them to go you know under or through the cracks but if you're not lucky uh, or all your peers are dead right all your friends are dead because you're at a rate at an age when that happens and what happens to you uh when nobody comes to visit you and nobody cares whether you're living or not. Uh, That's where you get in trouble. And I think we need as a society, we need to wake up and realize that this is what's happening. And I do think the uh, pandemic did shine a light Mm -hmm. on this because they were dying like by the bunches. And we were like, Oh my God. Uh, and then we same thing here i mean especially the for profit house homes it was for, yeah. for profit and it was just staggering so i think it was a matter of you know here's the thing it's it was the pandemic it's also the fact that there's a george romero film that nobody's ever seen so that is intriguing so i think it was a combination of because let me tell you this film 
got more attention than Bruiser <laughs> or Night Riders, right? And, and it, it, it's astonishing how much attention this film mm -hmm. got. In, in, you know, and a lot of people, even Romero fans, haven't seen Bruiser. I mean, I think ten people saw Bruiser. You know, mm. I, I am exaggerating, but you know, it is really an unknown film, and. Um, you know, it's just, I think it, you're right, Chelsea. It was a, a, a it's just the right timing uh, for this film to come out. Mm -hmm. Very much so. When you were talking about the dismissal, uh, my lady and I have been watching this show on HBO Max called Hacks about uh, 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 an elder, uh, iconic uh, female comedian, uh, clearly taking some inspiration from Joan Rivers and Phyllis Diller. Mm -hmm. Who gets paired up with a younger woman writer to help make her a little more relevant um, and the younger woman has uh, some very intense pain in her side goes to the hospital the doctor asks uh, do you have any drugs in her system she says yes and it's like oh you're just dehydrated and uh, the older woman says no listen to her check her out because I like to be litigious and I will put you in more debt than medical school did. So having that little bit to flex was very entertaining. And I think if this pandemic didn't teach us to be kinder to those in need, then you weren't paying attention. If all you wanna do is go back to the way things used to be, uh, I can't help you with what's broken inside of you. <laughs> Mm -hmm. You know, I, 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 I did, uh, I was a, a walker during the pandemic, I did 10,000 steps a day. And occasionally, I would encounter these anti-vaxxers, you know, with signs. And, yeah. and, and one of the signs said, I want to eat my sushi. <laughs> I'm like, Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay. Like, How selfish are you? Mm -hmm. You know, first of all, you wow. can eat your sushi, all you have to do is take it out. You know, like, yeah. They would be more than happy to sell you. I know nothing's stopping you, but it's such a selfish, selfish thing. And I just, I just, yeah. you know, people are selfish and um, absolutely. that's just the way it is. <laughs> Suzanne, I think he might've been at the wrong rally. <laughs> I think well, he would have uh, thought it was something about sushi. <laughs> <laughs> well, there were other signs, you right. know, uh, that, that sort of the combination and, uh, and yeah. the, you know, they had, bells and whistles and mm. horns and and they were spewing out stupidity um, right but um you know anyway yeah there, I, I i absolutely agree and then you know kind of going back to the you know dismissal i was also thinking of in the beginning of the pandemic something that i had the privilege of not thinking about before the pandemic um was uh, one of my friends started a small uh, organization or, you know, a community uh, to get groceries for older uh, mm -hmm. people or uh, immunity like compromised who could not go to the grocery store as easily as we can. And it has mm -hmm. nothing to do with if they're immobile. It has to do with the fact that it's so dangerous for, for them to go out. Yep. So it was one of those things where I saw signs, even in my apartment building, you know, if you're interested in uh, picking up groceries for your neighbors and just thinking, wow, I, it's, it's hard to think about someone in their home and no one checking on them um, yep. to see if they just need some milk. You know, I, 
I grew up, you know, my, uh, my grandmother, she uh, lived by herself and she um, couldn't drive anymore. And um, she would text or no, before texting, she would call my mom and say, I'm out of milk, but it can wait until next week. And my mom's like, no, it can't wait. I'll, I'll go get you some, like, it's fine. But just hearing her already denying that it's a problem, just saying, I'm out of this, but it's okay. Yeah, this they don't want to be a it. nuisance, mm -hmm. right? Exactly. They just don't want to be a problem or a, a trouble. They just mm -hmm. really don't want to be onerous to you. And, but yet you love them. And yeah. you can't, you can't be not having milk. Because what, right, exactly. what, what are you going to put in your tea if you drink milk with tea, you know, exactly. or tea with milk, you know, uh, it's just, it's just that they're so, you know, that also that generation uh, and, and the generations before where they were just less selfish people, you know, yeah. they were just less selfish and, um, and they don't want to be trouble. So this, it's just, this, this, this is very true, as Chelsea and I know, when sometimes you have to be uh, the IT person uh, for someone older than you. Yeah. Uh, and I'm a technological nincompoop. But I went to <laughs> visit my uncle and my aunt a while ago, and, and my uncle's like, I'm having a problem with the computer. And he explained it to me very poorly. Uh, long story short, one of the, the wire fell out of his router, had to go right into the correct port and I said how long has this been giving you a problem like about a week I'm like I'm not working call me <laughs> yeah I'll come by yeah but if we can stay angry for a second I remember several <laughs> years back uh reading uh in an interview with George that at the height of zombiness and the walking dead being the biggest show on cable he couldn't get funding for another movie no and I was pissed off for him yeah it's very, it was very, I think part of the reason he responded about um, people really don't care. I think he was not really referring to fans or people who loved his work. I think he was referring to business, the business, um, you know, the suits, you know, um, the funding, uh, all of that. Um, I think he was bitter about um but not so much the fans but i didn't want to elaborate because he had told me that he didn't want to talk about business so i respected that but i like i said i was surprised uh, by his answer but in retrospect i think it was it comes from the business mm -hmm. part of it you know like just couldn't get work he couldn't and there are about 50 50 60 unproduced works in the archive those are stories that he wrote and there's treatments and there's all kinds of things and and he would have thought they were failures because they never got produced he had pitched them he had asked people to give him money to make this film and they'd say oh no george it's not a zombie movie and you know and even if it was a zombie movie you know when he did land uh, after land he did diary and survival i mean he you know he struggled to get the money for that mm -hmm. you know which, which which my next question was um he ended up putting out uh 
comics with Marvel for Empire yep. of the Dead. Yeah. So do you know if that started out as a film script? That no, it wasn't a film script. Uh, it was for Marvel, and actually, George uh, he found the job difficult because there were a lot of different reasons why he thought it was a difficult project but what he did like about it was that he could write a story without having to budget it mm -hmm. like he didn't need to budget uh you know it was like day you know when they finally got the dough for day uh they only gave him x and his film that he wrote the original script was for eight million I don't know the exact numbers, but let's say the original script would have cost eight. He got funding for four. So he had to cut Day of the Dead to match the budget. But with this Marvel comic, he could do elaborate scenarios and, and not having to worry about how it was going to get shot, you know, mm -hmm. because if you're going to write a screenplay, it has to be in your head that it's got to be budgeted it's got to be funded as you write it and you know it, it's just as a screenwriter that's got to be part of the equation because you know? i i read that and i know the first art was done by a, a very talented artist named alex malieve whose yep. work i loved and right. i thought that is the great thing about comic books as a medium and not having to worry about the budget of things because all you need is ink yep. and paper to yep. get the visual down and if you make a mistake a mistake that's why there are erasers and yep. it worked and even the story wise because it added vampires into things and it seemed like a continuation of the the thinky zombies of land of the dead because mm -hmm. uh again my first introduction to zombies being return of the living dead too and i didn't like how talky they were but you know when george is doing it's like no, he's the authority if he says it it's okay right. so i really enjoyed that piece could you tell us uh with all these other uh uh unproduced uh projects what else the foundation has that we can expect maybe not in the the near future but coming down the pike perhaps please well, we do have, um, so in 1960, and there's some dispute, but it, let's say 62, 63. Um, I think it's 63, but there's somebody who in my circle thinks it's 62. So okay. I've heard that if you can remember the 60s, you weren't <laughs> actually there. Okay. <laughs> well, that's maybe true. But like you, George didn't do drugs. <laughs> So, so there so, you go. So he may remember them, but you know, now exactly. it's questionable. Did he actually <laughs> attend? So anyway, we have the first film that he actually shot with a Bolex camera. It's his very first attempt at a, an actual film. And we have, and he did uh, two uh, shorts. One of them is Lost. We found this one. So we have... Uh, we have 21 minutes of wow. <laughs> so, uh, so we will uh, see if we can get some funding. We need some funding for this film because um, you know restoring costs money and getting music costs money and all of this costs money. So, uh, so again, uh, we have our tin cup in our hands asking for some money. So, but we're excited about it. We've got a lot of the work done. Um, 
And we are giving Richard Ritchie uh, a Pioneer Award uh, in October. And, uh, and Richard wrote the poem. He was in the film. And um, so, yeah, so we're, we're pretty excited about it. You know, but so, but really, though, uh, I mean, we are going to be running out of things to restore, other than the fact that these produced works uh, is a separate, separate from the foundation. You know, the archive is there to be studied. The work needs to be studied and uh, have scholars pour over the work. Um, uh, and I and I know that there are people I've had got received calls and asking uh if they could you know have access to the to the work and i'm like you know what blow it out your ear because you weren't interested in this work before when he was alive and now you've got the balls to you know i'm back to being angry again <laughs> sorry oh that's okay it's cathartic get it out we have that oh. effect on people <laughs> no it's just bullshit you know where they say yeah. you know oh, oh well we're, we're interested in the un unpublished works well where were you oh, when he actually here. wanted to, to be to, to make the film like you guys weren't interested you know but now they think that they can get it for cheap and they you know they're just so crass it's just yeah 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 <laughs> Okay, I'm I'm gonna be less angry now. That's okay. Deep cleansing breath. Yeah. We're, well. not, we're not wrong in this situation to to get justifiably angry because we're never more angry than when we're protecting the That's people right. that That's we right. love. That's the right. Most that yeah. that the claws come out. And, and even though you're not prone for, to profanity, we just got a little bit out of you. Where it, it, it's the right reaction to have. And, and, and uh, especially, you know, like me getting that, that Latin temper up. It's like, what, what, what you say about my mom? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I can criticize my mom. Yeah, we're not allowed to criticize. Yeah, my yeah, but you're right. I am the protector, and you know, I am the estate, and uh, and the foundation is again a separate thing. But you know, I'm in a position where I just feel like I need to protect him, and um, yeah, and so I hope I am. I hope I'm doing all the right things. Um, you know, but it's it's done with my heart, uh, open heart. So. Uh, so we'll see how it all works out at the end. <laughs> when it's done with love, anything is possible. Yeah, I think uh, so. I, I, I truly believe that. And in a way, uh, I, I feel the work uh, that you're putting in uh, through the foundation and with the archives, it's enhancing his already immortality. So, you know, the, 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 the zombie king gets to live on, uh, I think, just as handsomely as he ever was, mm -hmm. and not as grotesque as some of his creations. So, so that that's that's touching in a way. Um, would you like to give out uh, information on where people can find out more about the the foundation, please? Well, we're at the George A. Romero Foundation.org, and we have all the social media handles. Uh, you know, again, I'm kind of like, you know, you and unlike Chelsea, I don't tweet. I don't Instagram. I don't. 
I have a Facebook page, but only because I occasionally post a travel picture <laughs> uh, to my friends. Uh, so, um, so I don't do any of it, but the George Romero Foundation does. And we've got very smart people uh, taking care of all the handles and all the hashtags and all of that kind of stuff. So yeah, just take, check us out, uh, you know, um, subscribe to our newsletter uh, and, and you find out, you know, what we're doing and what our intentions are and what our hopes and dreams are. And, uh, and hopefully uh, we do right by Mr. Romero and we hope that we're doing right by the horror world. Um, and you know, like I said, we're small potatoes, but we hope to be more. <laughs> it, it's still delicious. And we'll put all the links in our show description. Thank and you. Our Thank you so much. Chelsea, where can the people find you if they want to find you? Um, so I am on Twitter and Instagram, just Chelsea Bennington. And uh, yeah, and I just heard Siren. So I think somebody else found me. <laughs> Run. Um, yeah. So let's wrap this up. No, I'm kidding. You can check out Spooky Doings on Instagram, Spooky Doings Improv on Facebook uh, for, to give a little update on our uh, horror themed improv show. Uh, I spoke to our usual venue and they don't have a time frame to reopen. And I get it. I don't blame them. It's an unventilated basement in Midtown Manhattan. Yowch. Not the safest place. <laughs> to have people breathing on each other yeah, and mind killing each other. <laughs> but um, that doesn't mean our improv is gone. It'll come back one day when it's safe for our cast and our audience. And I'm patient enough to wait. And you can check me out at Rick Guzman 718 on Twitter for fun stuff as well. Uh, Suzanne, thank you so much for uh, being a part of the show. You're more than welcome, Chelsea. Thank you. Thank Rick, you. thank you very much. Thank you for everything you're doing for all our listeners. Stay good. Stay healthy. Stay spooky. Until next time. And stay yes. scared. Ah. Stay scared. <laughs> you ever done improv, Suzanne? I have because I'm an actor. I was an actor. I went to theater school for like six years. So, but no. Not doing. I'm busy. <laughs> I am so busy. It's not safe right now, but all I'm saying, if it's if you ever find yourself in New York and we're doing a show, okay, our door is open. Okay, I do go to New York, so it's. I suppose it's in the realm uh, realm of possibilities. <laughs> if nothing else, I'll just meet you and. Hopefully it'll be safe enough. A mask won't be required. And I'll give you a bright smile. And um, say hello in person. Smiling right back at you. Thank you so much, Suzanne. Take good care.